Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Bivens Point. Many of us with older parents or grandparents have been especially careful during the pandemic to protect their health. When it comes to senior health care, a lot of the decisions may end up being made by people my age or younger. So if you get to the point where you're helping a family member make decisions about rehab or nursing care, turn to Bivens, a long-trusted name for senior health care in Amarillo. They've suspended visitation right now, but if you'd like to learn more about this wellness community, visit BivensPoint.org. That's point with an E. Today's guest is Jasmine Taylor. Now, if you've been listening to Hey Amarillo for a while, Jazz was one of the voices you heard on our June 5th episode earlier this year, which featured a few of Amarillo's black men and women talking about racism in the wake of the George Floyd killing. I hadn't met Jazz before then, but I thought she offered a really powerful perspective in that episode, and honestly, I I wanted to hear more from her. So I invited her back for a full interview in person on my back porch instead of over the phone, Jasmine is a young Amarillo resident, and just a few months ago, she became a brand new business owner. She launched the online store Oh My Fro Lash Co., and today she's selling size-inclusive clothing and accessories and navigating a rapidly growing online business. I think this is a really interesting and important conversation. So here's Jasmine Taylor. Jasmine Taylor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad to talk to you. I um, I want to start the way that I start with all of my guests. I know you've been on the show before, but right. this is a more in-depth in conversation. Um, tell me why you're in Amarillo, how you ended up here in the first place. Um, I'm born and raised in Amarillo. My dad, he's not from here, but... He came and rescued me as an infant, so I've been raised by my dad, and I have a few siblings, but they're significantly older, so I kind of grew up as a only child, so to speak. Really? Um, okay. It was just me in the house, and, you know, I'm just born and raised here. I I thought about leaving at one point, but I just, it's home for me, so I think this will always kind of be home for me. I enjoy being here in Amarillo. Do you know how your dad ended up here, like why your family was here? You know, I've never asked. And it's just, most of my family is in the Dallas, East Texas area. Okay. So it, it had to have been something with his mother. Um, my dad's significantly older, too. He's 72. So okay, wow. It was a different time. So I'm sure it was his mom for better work or something like that. Because it's just my dad and my uncles, they live here as far as family. Where did you go to high school? Paladero. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me about uh, your experience in high school. Um, Well, I was a high school athlete. I played basketball, so that pretty much consumed my life. We went from playing AAU league ball since about sixth grade, a group of girls. I should say, you're tall. Yeah. Like, you're (laughs) taller than me, I think. Yeah, six six foot. Okay, yeah, so makes sense. Most of my high school experience is basketball memories, you know, those trips and going on tournaments, and, you know, basketball is all year long, so... It was classes and basketball. I didn't have much of a social life outside of my teammates. You played for Coach Johnson? Mm-hmm. Played for him. He came and found me. I was playing volleyball. I was probably 12 or 13 years old, and he recruited me. It was called The Crew, um, an AAU team, and we played together for probably close to 10 years. 
during the summers. And then most of us, because I was, I went to Carver and then Sam Houston, so I was set to go to Tascosa. But I ended up riding to PD to play for Coach Johnson. Did you ever have any possibility or interest in playing beyond high school? Um, I got a full ride to South Plains College, and I played for a year. But at that point, I had had two knee injuries, and just I was tired of hurting all the time. So yeah. I just finished out college without basketball because it was I was starting to feel like an old lady. And it was just time to hang it up. But I could, I probably could have played all four years if I really wanted to. But those knee injuries, I I had three surgeries, and by the end of that first year in college, it was just like, no. I uh, that totally makes sense to me. Um, What did you study in college? I started out as a psychology major, and I ended out in applied arts and sciences. I first thought I wanted to be a physician assistant. And then I got a job working in a freestanding emergency room here while I was getting ready to finish college, and it completely changed my mind, talking to the doctors. And healthcare is a lot less about patient care and a lot more about paperwork and not getting sued every day. Hmm. And it just, it wasn't what I imagined, and so it just changed what I wanted to do. So how how long ago was that? When did you graduate from South Plains? I grad, Well, South Plains is a junior college, right? so I went there for a year. And then I came home and I worked for a while. Um, after quitting basketball, I was trying to find my way. Okay. And I went back to college in 2014, and I kind of went on and off until August of last year, and I graduated August of last year. From where? 2019, from Lamar University in okay. Beaumont. Okay, so tell me about, you know, having grown up in Amarillo, going to South Plains is not too far away, right. but then going to someplace like Beaumont. Well, see, I did, did, did you actually go there or was it all I online? I did it online okay. so I could work. It was impossible. I tried WT for a semester and it was too much trying to work full time and be a full time student. I just I couldn't do both with the commute. So I um, the job I was working at the time, I was actually working as a 911 dispatcher. We went to a training and there was a lady there from Lamar. And so I got hooked up with her and I finished out my degree online and it was perfect. It was there was so much flexibility and. I just loved it. it okay, really- so this is the benefit of me not knowing a whole lot about you before we talk. I had no idea you were a 911 dispatcher, uh-huh. which is a fascinating career to me because uh-huh. I know I would be terrible at it. I hated it. Did you? I lasted all of maybe four months. I mean, tell me what that's like. First, you have to, they train you to have like no emotion with the calls and it's Amarillo. So somebody's going to call that, you know, yeah. with some kind of an emergency. And so you you can't react. And I'm just a super emotional person. So there would be people I knew calling and I'm gasping on the line, like, Oh God, what happened? And so I'd always get in trouble for that. But there's a lot of stuff that happens here that you don't really know about medical emergencies. And it was just, it was disheartening and I'm kind of an empath. So I would take it home a lot, you know, cause you don't ever really know what happens after you take the call. You don't get follow up like yeah. hey, the kid survived or, you know, they made it out alive. And so, so you get like just, high stress and then it just leaves yeah, you hanging and you move you on hanging. to the next call. It leaves you hanging. And it was just, I, I didn't like being heavy at home every day after work, but it, there are some people who really thrive there. There's a certain personality of everybody who's been there for 15 years or more. And they, they love it and they are excellent at it, but it wasn't for me. And so I guess you figured out pretty quickly yeah, that that was months, not a great... I was like, no, I think I'm going to have to try something else. That wasn't that wasn't a good fit for me. So tell me about, you know, as, as you were trying to do both, balancing, you know, a full-time job with um, going to school full-time, trying to figure out what you wanted to do and, and realizing, well, it's not it's not being a dispatcher. So right. what, what was your plan? Well, 
I originally thought after my dad was really strict growing up, I'll just be completely honest. And so I didn't really have a lot of life experience. Um, growing up black, you either have, I kind of feel like we either have parents who are like very strict, like, and they kind of have a mentality of your only way out is college. So you need to play a sport to, you know, because most people's parents don't have college funds. Sure. So you play a sport to get them to pay for school and that's how we're going to figure it out. And so basketball was my way. And so my dad was really upset with me for wanting to quit. And to this day, he's probably still is mad at me about it. He'll bring it up every now and then. But I was kind of, I don't know if it was rebellious or me just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, you kind of have this dream like, oh, you know, I'll just go play in the WNBA. And and I never really sat down and thought, well, what am I going to do with my life when I grow up? And so it took working different jobs and meeting different people and having different life experiences for me to really understand what it is that I really wanted to do with my life. And so I think those four or five years of me working and trying different jobs, it was it was meant for me in my journey because it really helped me shape and mold the type of woman I was and what I really wanted out of life. There, there are a lot of conversations that I've been a part of and that I've heard, you know, thinking about, like, like you mentioned, that a lot of kids growing up um, in black families – don't always have the opportunities uh, that maybe their white peers might. College is often pushed as a solution, but like everybody knows, college is not for everybody. And there's a lot of great trade jobs and things that can happen that don't yes. require a full four years. I mean, is, as you were going to college, um, did you start to figure out, okay, this is this is a thing that is good for me, this is the path, or were you still trying to just do what your dad wanted? I'm so, and, and I really got the degree for the sake of my dad, okay. if I'm being honest. He just, it's sad that it kind of solidifies you as an African American person having an education, but it really does hold weight um, as far as success goes, you know? So I, I'll probably never use my degree. I'm never going to go into medicine, but... Well, I same here. I, I was it. an English major and, you know... <laughs> it was a huge waste of money. And so, I, you know, I have my sister passed away a few years back. And so I, we've been raising my niece. And the one thing I've tried to instill in her is figure out what you like. Like, college isn't for everybody. Find what you love and we'll figure out a way to do that. And it, there's no point in you wasting four years of your life and $60,000 for a degree that you'll never be able to use or that you'll never want to use. And so, because there are different opportunities. And then she's growing up in an age, in the technological age, where you can go create an online business and make more money than people who have doctorates. You know, so it's really, it's a different world. And we really have to have a different mindset with our kids and encourage them to do other things besides college because college isn't the answer for everyone. And sports definitely isn't the only way to get your education paid for. Um, I've learned that too. So I just try to encourage her to do what you love now. Let's figure it out. And then we'll figure out a plan of how to get you there when we get to that point. Okay. So let's, let's talk about the journey for you because you, you mentioned uh, that you worked in a number of different careers before settling on what you do now, which is, you know, you're a small business owner. So tell me about that path. It definitely taught me that I do not desire to work for others. I've worked jobs where they were so easy and paid me so well that it was like, why don't you love it? And I would still come home every day like, oh, I hate it there. You know, I just miserable. And I think we're really, 
I don't even know how to put it into words. Some people are not built to work for other people, if that makes sense. I've, I've had great jobs with great bosses and great pay and, you know, great morale. And it's just nothing has ever really fulfilled me the way working for myself has. And it has been one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But I'm never miserable. I love it every day. Like today, when I leave here, I have to go home and label 300 clothes and get oh, it all wow. on the website. And, you know, I'll be up until 3 o'clock in the morning and I'll be tired as a dog. But I'm going to wake up tomorrow and still love what I do. And so I think working for different corporations and different companies, you know, it's I've taken things from each place that I think I will be able to really add to my business. But it definitely solidified for me that I didn't want to work for anybody else. Okay, so we've skipped over actually what your business is. So Mm -hmm. tell listeners what you do. and. So right now I have an online boutique. Um, It's called Oh My Fro Lash Co. It's getting ready to be rebranded to just Oh My Fro Collections. But I sell women's items. So anything from clothing to accessories to shoes to bags, um, eyelashes, which are really popular right now. Um, so really all things that you could get in a small town boutique, I sell now. Um, I'm actually working on designing my first line of clothing, of okay. size clothing. So hopefully in the next six to eight months, you'll see that from me. That's my big dream. But right now I just have the small boutique and it's all online. I have pop-up shops right now about two times a month, depending on the weather and how things go, where you can come and see things in person and meet me and we can interact and things like that. But that's where I'm at right now. Tell me about your customers. It being online, is it a pretty broad geographic range of customers? I mean, are, um, are they local? My or are they... largest group of customers right now is surprisingly um, Amarillo. Probably about 60 to 70% of my customers are from Amarillo, usually female, 18 to 40, 45 in that area. But I also have a pretty decent online following. Um, and I've shipped to almost... I think I'm almost at 40 states I've shipped products okay. out to. So it's growing. I'm slowly marketing and learning how to reach out to other places, but a lot of my sales are local. With that much uh, of your customer base being local, tell me about the decision to do it online only versus like a brick and mortar type of shop. It just makes sense for me right now because I don't have any overhead. Okay. Um, it's just, you know, it just makes sense. It doesn't make sense for me to go pay a thousand dollars in rent when I can just be online. And my dad actually owns a business that he doesn't really work at anymore. And so I just use his parking lot in front of his automotive shop and I have my pop-up shops so that, you know, because sometimes you do want to feel fabric and lay the clothes up against you and see how they fit so that people have that opportunity as well. But just again, in the age we live in, most things I buy, I just get them online. I don't go in store to get them because a lot of the stores I shop from aren't even here. So it just made more sense for me to start out online. And maybe eventually as I continue to grow, I'll do the brick and mortar. But for right now, I'm fine online. When did you start the shop? I'll say May 1st was my first official day. Of this year? hmm And so that's a story in itself of starting an online business in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. You know, so much economic <laughs> uncertainty. Yes. Uh, tell me about that process. It, I've wanted to do this for probably three years. I've wanted to do this. And I don't know what happened. It was just an overnight thing where I was like, girl, we can't, you can only make so many spreadsheets and only write down in your diary so many times. And because I'm a planner and there's only so much you can do. And I just woke up and I was like, okay, let's just order the inventory and see what happens. I literally ordered the inventory. It came to my house. I built the website that day Hmm. and got it rolling. And it just started with me solely selling eyelashes. 
because I knew it had a high profit margin and would provide me more revenue to be able to do more things. And so within two or three weeks, I was able to start buying clothes and it just, it has grown beyond what I believed. Like I, I set um, a revenue goal for myself this year and I met it in three months. Okay. And so it's just, it's growing exponentially and it's, it's beautiful. I, I'm just, I love it. There's a large gap, I think, between people who always say, I, I should start my own business someday. Mm-hmm. And the people who actually do it, mm-hmm. you know, and take the steps because it's hard. There's a lot of work. It's not just setting up a website. I mean, there's a lot of stuff yes. that you have to do. Why do you think this year was the year when you were able to actually go through that whole process and really make it happen? Well, I was at home. It was just things just lined up so perfectly. I wasn't working. I was home. I had the savings that I had been saving forever for the business that I was always too scared to start. So you've been planning it for yeah, a while. Yeah, I've been planning it, but it's hard to take that leap. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy to, because I literally put myself out there like, okay, I'm going to run this business and I'm going to depend solely on this money for this business. I was planning to buy a new car this year. And instead of doing that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to invest this money in the business and I'll buy me a new car when I can buy me a new car. Yeah, And I just took it from there. I didn't know much. I've YouTubed and podcasted and read books and educated myself that way on how to run a business because I don't have a lot of people to go to to ask those little questions. But there's nothing out there you really can't learn in the world if you really want to learn it. If you are, if you want to have a business and you have the drive, there's there's ways for you to learn it. Even if you don't have any support, any help, you can do it because I've done it. Going, you know, thinking about the aspect, you, you mentioned that you had to source some products and you knew that these the lashes were going to be profitable and you, you had a little bit of that knowledge. Was right. that something that you've done in the past? Well, like, no, it's not. It was just me researching okay. products. You can get on Instagram and look and see what's popular and what's selling. And so then you go and you look at the products and the price and what you'd be able to sell them for in your area or in your niche. And you can kind of tell what will sell and what what won't. And that's what I did, you know. Um, I saw that they weren't too expensive to where I could buy bulk of them. I could afford it and I could sell them at a still reasonable price. It's nothing compared to what some people sell them, for, <laughs> but it was enough to be able to give my business the boost it needed and to give me the, I don't know, to encourage me to keep going because after I made the first sales, I was like, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. And then I, you know, grew it a little bit and then I've grown it a little more. And so every month I kind of add a little more to the boutique, but it was just taking a leap. You just have to have enough faith in yourself to go for it. And it'll either work or it won't. And if that doesn't work, pick yourself up and figure out another way to make it work when you try again. So you ended up coming back here, I, you know, because you, you had some family here, but you didn't have to stay. Like if right. you have an online business, you can live anywhere. Right. Um, why are you still living in Amarillo? Why, why make this the base? Um, like I said, my sister passed away. It's almost four years now, and so she has a daughter who's a senior in high school, and so I kind of felt, I don't know if obligated is the word, but I I needed to be here for her to see her through that. And so I've told her, I'm like, you know, when you're finished with high school, I don't know if I'll still be here or whatever, but my thing has always been I promised to her and I promised to my sister at her grave that I would see her baby through high school, and so I have done that, and we're almost almost to the end. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think Amarillo is a good place to run a business like yours, a self-employed, work-from-home kind of business? I Right now, it's it's going really well. I haven't, 
I don't make sales all over town yet, though, so I don't know. And I'm not sure if I could have a brick and mortar and be successful because that's a completely different monster. Right. So I think I'll just need to stay in business another year or so and see how things flow and if, you know, the financials stay the same and if I'm able to have a brick and mortar because, you know, at the end of the day, that's the goal. And if this isn't the place I can do that, then I have to move elsewhere. But I'm just not sure right now. It's going well, but I'm still new. You know, mm-hmm. so well, and you know, I I have my own business, and I've worked from home for years, and with the knowledge that in Amarillo I can make that work. If yeah. I lived in San Francisco or someplace, like I'd be abjectly poor. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so there is there is a cost of living issue that does make this a pretty desirable yeah. place. I know that that one of the things, Jazz, that that sets you apart is that you're a black business owner mm-hmm. in Amarillo, which is it's not particularly rare but it's also not super common mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of of really um long-lasting and successful businesses uh, in amarillo who are who are black owned but you've started one that's relatively new and i wonder if you can tell me a little bit about maybe some of the particular challenges that are in place that explain why there aren't that many black owned businesses in this town um, well, I think the first place you look whenever you're getting ready to start a business is within your community. And because like you said, there aren't most of the black businesses I can think of are restaurants. Right. I can't think of any black owned clothing stores I can go to and be like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing similar. Can we maybe network or you mentor me? There's not a lot of avenues for you to take. Um, there's not anyone there to help you figure out funding or any of that. So I was really kind of on my own with it. And I think With the research I've done, I think it's even harder for Black-owned businesses to get funding or to be able to rent certain locations. And so there's a lot of hurdles, but being Black, there's a lot of hurdles, period. So I think you kind of learn to figure your way around it. But at the end of the day, you know, being Black, you kind of learn. It's it's terrible that it's that way, but you kind of learn to figure out your way around things. You know, if there's a wall this way, go around it, dig underneath it and find your way. And that's what I've done. Are those walls institutional walls? Like, are they walls that someone else has put in your way or are they walls that just have society that's, that's kind of been built up? I think it's a little bit up? of both. I think it's a little bit of both there. There's the institutional things that we all come against. Sometimes. And it's like, we're so, we deal with it so much that you're almost blind to it. It's just a part of our reality of who we are, you know? And you know, telling people that I have a business and they don't really take it seriously. Just it's it's really bad, but it's just to the point where I don't even notice it. I just I automatically know that things will be harder for me. You're taught from a kid that you'll have to work two times harder to even just be considered. So I've always just I don't even notice it. I just go for what I know and I figured out how I figured out if I can't get help this way, I'll figure out another way around it. And I don't know if it's a mental block that we've put on ourselves or that if there really are those walls there that we have to climb extra high to get over. Well, it, even if you're dealing with someone who seems surprised that you own a business, mm-hmm. that's not a form of explicit racism. Right, right. But maybe it's like an implied prejudice that people just hold thinking, well, that's not something that black people typically do mm-hmm. or should be able to do. You know, however they're telling themselves that story. Microaggressions, uh-huh. Yeah, that measure of surprise is a form of racism that you, as I understand it, you say you just hardly notice anymore yeah. or you've gotten so used to it that it's less of a big deal. Yep. That's what it is. I just, 
I, you know, my dad has always raised us that life is not going to be easy. You're never going to be given an easy way out. So you just dig yourself out of the mud and make the life that you want. And that's what I've always done. I don't let racism or what's happening in society. I try my best not to let that define me in my life because you'd be miserable every day. If you wake up and decide to be sad about what's going on in the world, I'd I'd hate white people. I wouldn't want to be around them. I wouldn't want to be bothered because it's just... It's just constantly negative. Like it's to the point now I can't even I I don't read comments on Facebook anymore. I don't it's sickening. I, and so I just choose every day to wake up and just try to better myself and grow my business and that's really all I can do. I can't control I can't control the world. Living in Amarillo, which is a city that's about uh, I think the black population is about ten percent, mm-hmm. um, I believe. Obviously there are places where there is more of a robust business community, there's more of a robust, um, you know, black culture, just even in terms of numbers. Um, has, have you ever thought, you know, maybe it would be easier for my business or maybe it would be easier for me if I live someplace like that or are you of the mindset, this is where I am and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things here in Amarillo, I'm going to help make it better for, you know, your niece or for people coming after you? Yeah. I feel like we have a responsibility to make it better for the people um, that come after us. I don't necessarily feel like I can make a change for people in my lifetime, but I feel like there's so many of us because I know so many black women who have started businesses or, you know, are selling services at this point. And so I just try to encourage and uplift them. And we're trying to, me and Lenitra were speaking last night about trying to create community amongst us because we do, you know, we could all just get up and run away from Amarillo, but Mm -hmm. there will still be little black kids here who have to deal with the stuff we've dealt with. So if we can create, you know, successful businesses and mentorship programs and platforms for those kids to see that, okay, well, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. I think that's our responsibility to do that and to show them that it can be done no matter the adversities and to give them a safe space and give them the things we didn't have, you know, give them someone to come to with those questions. So I think a big part of me staying here and me trying to create community is to be there for those people that are coming after us. Do you feel hopeful at this moment with some of that progress? I do. I do. Like I said, in the past, since I've started my business, there are probably five or six women I know in my circle who have started businesses from selling cakes or treats or um, what else have they done? I know so many people. I know women who are photographers now, um, manicurists, just so many different things. I know a lady who has, she started just making cakes, but now she went and got her food license, and so she sells food a few times a week. And they're all just young, under 35 black women trying to make their way. And so I think that's encouraging because they see other people doing it. And it's like, okay, well, I know her. And if she can do it, I have this idea, and I want to bring that to fruition as well. And so it's encouraging other women to do those same things. So this this year and the past several months specifically, um, the struggles of the black community have been more high profile, I guess, than typical, uh, just because of the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, that decision, uh, and some of the protests related to that. I I wonder, though, talking to you, if this has been a more difficult few months than usual, or if this is just how it is and now more people are aware of it. It's just, I guess the word is exhausting. It gets really tiring 
having the discussions, having the conversations just about simply why we matter, why it's important, why we shouldn't be killed in our home while we're asleep. Yeah. You know, even the verdict from the Breonna Taylor case, I remember feeling just, it's almost heartbroken and I don't even know her, you know, but I'm a black woman and that could have been me. I have black friends, you know, and it's, it's gotten to the point where it starts to feel hopeless. Like we just, it almost brings tears to my eyes now because it's like, People literally do not care about our lives. Like we're equated to nothing. I've seen people get more upset about abandoned puppies than they have black people being murdered. And Mm. it's ridiculous. It's like we don't deserve justice. It's not saying black people don't commit crimes, but they have a right to their day in court, not to be slaughtered in the middle of the street like animals. And just having to fight and go back and forth with people about why your life is important enough to be given the same judicial process as everyone else. It is exhausting. It's exhausting. And I try not to let things make me feel hopeless, but in this moment, it's just like the only way we'll ever get change is for black people to get in positions of power in the judicial system, making laws like, White people have seen us killed and beaten and enslaved for years and nothing's changed. It's 2020 and we still have the same fight my dad had in Hmm. the 40s and 50s, you know, and we're lifetimes apart. And we have those discussions. And even he just he's like, you know, it just it is what it is. And it shouldn't be that way. We're all people. We all bleed the same, you know. And it's it's tragic. It's tragic every day to just get on. I get on Facebook and you can see that News Channel 10, you know, made a post about whatever has happened with Black Lives Matter, and the comment section makes me nauseous. Yeah, never read those comments. It, it's to- nauseating, and it it doesn't even anger me anymore. It It's heartbreaking to hear what people think and how little people think of you and people who look like you, you know, and it's just, it's, it's exhausting. At this point, I'm just over it. I don't want to have the discussions anymore. If you can't take the initiative to read all of the articles and watch the videos and and take any of the information that's out there, then, you know, maybe you just need to live your life ignorant because I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy anymore for people who just have no desire to change and to be better. Yeah. And you mentioned the ignorance. I, I think there are a lot of people who will see, you know, the unrest or see the protests and they're in Louisville or they're you know, on the coast or someplace else. And they think, oh, well, that that kind of thing doesn't happen in Amarillo. You know, that's a problem somewhere else. And yes, maybe we don't have a high profile, you know, moment of police brutality or killing or something. Yeah. But that racism is just as much a problem here as it is anywhere else. Yeah, it's very true. I've never had any bad experiences with police. I've never, I haven't had a bunch of racist Things happen to me. Nobody's ever really called me out of my name. But there are people who are experiencing it. And the fact that there's a large group of people who are dealing with it means it needs to be addressed and it needs to be changed. But what can you really do to change it? Protesting, you know, it makes a ripple for a while, but things just seem to always go back to what they were, if not getting worse. So I just... I don't know. People always ask, well, what can we do to change it? And I'm at a loss. You know, I just think that the only way, whenever you look in government, all you see is white people, old white men, you know, and that's not who we are. How can they represent who we are and they don't know us? So I feel like we just have to put our children into different things, get them interested into politics, you know, and get them up there. And maybe that'll make a difference. But as of right now, I don't see in my lifetime things ever getting any different. I don't see things changing. 
it's just just being completely honest. I don't think it'll ever get any better in our lifetime. Maybe for our children, because they grew up different and they were around each other more, maybe there will be a difference. But right now, I don't see things changing. Do you see any of the leadership role that you've taken just even as a business owner or as a role model, you know, for young black girls or young black boys who might not see themselves owning a business and see you, I mean, do do you feel like that might play any role in, in helping some of, maybe some of, of of how they envision themselves and and the way that they deal with a bleak future, like, like, you know, you've come to believe maybe there won't be change, you know? So do you see yourself like, trying to be a light, you know, in in that type of darkness? I think entrepreneurship represents freedom. And there's a a huge freedom in being the reason that you have money. Um, There's freedom in knowing that I don't have to go to a job every day and deal with things that I had to deal with on other jobs. Um, And I think us being more empowered, because me and my dad talk all the time. We have the discussion on and the debate on whether desegregation was a good or bad thing for the black community. When my dad was coming up, they had black doctors, they had black pharmacists, they had black stores. I mean, there was a community of black people. And so they didn't have to run across town to get the things they needed. All the things they needed were black owned and were there in the community, black schools, black teachers. I went through AISD. I never had one black teacher, Hmm. you know. And so I think entrepreneurship and more black people owning businesses is important because it will give us a greater sense of community. We have um, almost become separate and separated, and we have a lot of self-hate in the black community that has been instilled in us from 400 years of, of stuff we've dealt with. But I think entrepreneurship gives people a freedom, um, a freedom to be able to do more for the community and to be more present in their kids' lives and to uplift more. And so I think it is definitely a step in the right direction for us as a culture of people. Um, and I hope to see it um, grow and continue people to continue to do more in Amarillo and us to be able to have a better community so that we can empower ourselves and then maybe go educate and uplift others that aren't in our community. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Malin Huntley, the Potter County Elections Administrator. She mentioned in that interview that a lot of her regular poll workers are retired residents of Potter County. The same goes for Randall County. And this puts those workers in a higher risk age group during the pandemic. So with a huge election taking place on November 3rd and with so much attention being given to the virus right now nationally, it's more important than ever that our counties have a reliable supply of election workers. Specifically, they need young, healthy, technology comfortable residents who are willing and available to help on November 3rd or even before that. It's actually a paid position It requires just a little bit of training, and it's probably one of the most significant things you can do to ensure a free and fair election. If you live in Potter County, you can apply to help via pottercountyvotes.com. In Randall, go to randallcounty.com and click the poll worker survey link in the left-hand column. Early voting starts next Tuesday, October 13th. If you can vote early, please do. Okay, I'm back with Jasmine Taylor. Jazz, this is part of the show I call Eight Straights. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it has such a diverse collection, but I know its collection includes at least eight examples of fluorescent minerals, uh, which 
are interesting to see. They've got this little black box. You can look at them. So uh, you can learn more about that at panhandleplanes.org. Okay, my first question, and we've covered a little bit of this territory, but what's one thing the last few months, either related to the pandemic, related to the protests, but what's something that it's revealed to you about local people? Um, that they can be really ugly and that we have to continue to fight the good fight no matter what. I remember feeling so hopeful, like, yes, you know, we're finally seeing progress. And then again, I would come home and get on Facebook and it would just be negative all day. I have a friend named Kara who started a nonprofit called Solidarity Isn't Silent, I believe. Past podcast guest, in fact. (laughs) Right. And it's so great what she's doing, but even she'll post something and I can't, I can't read the comments. And so I think maybe it's a slow progress, but Emerald has to do better. We, we're... We're a small place. We have to be a community. We have to uplift and love on each other. And as of late, I just haven't felt loved on. And it's terrible. We need to do better. And see, here's the thing that to me is so striking about your answer is that I've, I ask that question, you know, to almost every guest. Um, when I've had white guests, they've talked about how Amarillo has come together mm-hmm. and how it's been encouraging to see the help within each community. And when I've had black guests... I've had them talk about how hard it has been because they've seen so much hatred. It's, it's become more prevalent or more uh, on the surface, I mm-hmm. guess. And that exposes to me the very big difference in how I live my life and how you live your life and yes. how this city treats both of us. Yes. Um, which, if, if nothing else, is exactly what we need to start seeing (laughs) is that your lived experience is so different from my lived experience yes i don't think amarillo is the worst place in the world to live i know that you know different cities have it probably a million times worse than we do but there's still progress to be made and as a black person as a black resident things have not gotten exponentially better um white people are not more aware of our issues um i think people like you having this platform and being willing to have the conversations with people like me um definitely is progress um but we're nowhere near where we need to be as a people and as amarilloians whatever you want to call it whatever us. we call ourselves yeah but no i don't I don't think things have gotten better, even in the few protests that they did have here. You know, you saw the things with people standing on top of their buildings with guns. Yeah. And, you know, so, no, I don't I don't feel the love in Amarillo. What does this area have too much of? Tootin' totems. Okay. <laughs> Why do we need a tootin' totem on every corner? And also, my other issue with that is, it seems like that's the only thing we ever get on the north side of town. I've been waiting on us to get a Walmart on the north side of town for forever. A Starbucks, I would love to not have to drive 15, 20 minutes to get to a Starbucks, but it seems like all we ever get is tootin' totems. And we have too many, I feel like. There's there's always excitement when you see construction begin on a corner, a street corner, and, <laughs> and then inevitably, I'm like, what's going to be there? Oh, it's a toot and totem. Always. There's so many. He, <sighs> okay, what does this area not have enough of? Bookstores. Okay. That's a good opinion, answer. I love to read, and I feel like we need more bookstores. Barnes & Noble is about the only place I know outside of the public libraries, and we could use more bookstores. The um, So... We have Barnes and Noble. We also have the Burrowing Owl, you know, which is 
has a shop in Canyon and in Amarillo. And those two are the only independent bookstores between like Dallas and Denver. Wow. Um, so we do have that. It's still very small and a lot of people yeah. don't even know about Burrowing Owl. So, um, and that takes us from one bookstore to two bookstores, you know? <laughs> so it's not like we have a toot and totem number of bookstores. Um, so I'd love that. I love that answer. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I always tell them it's small. People always come through here. I'll have friends pass through and there's, they're like, what's there to do? And I'm like, go out to eat. I always tell people we have great restaurants. It's a, you know, a very small town vibe, but there's not much to do for millennials. Okay. Go out to eat. That's about it. That's always what I tell them. We're a small place. It's a pretty homey place, but there's not much to do for us. Okay, you just mentioned restaurants. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Delvin's. Okay. And I go for the cabbage. It is the, the cabbage. Best. If you ever go, just get it and thank me later. Okay. It is the best cabbage I've ever had in my life. I love it there. The it's the food is great, don't get me wrong, but it's just the staff and the people that own it and the ambiance. It's just you feel the love when you walk in. And so definitely Delvin's. Okay. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? I think the cost of living and the scenery and Amarillo really is a beautiful place. Um, and it's affordable place for a lot of people and a lot of families. And so I think a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that it's for to be such a growing city. It really is an affordable place to live. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. That's, that's why I've lived here for so long. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much more affordable to live here than a lot of other places mm-hmm. we could go. Okay, when was the last time you went to the Big Texan? I have never been. Never? Never. All right. Never been. Um, I, we may have gone in elementary school, and I just don't remember. But in my adult life, I've never been. Now, I, I can't speak to what kind of cabbage they serve there, if it's any good. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you know, maybe next time you have friends here. You know, yeah, there, we'll there's a very the Amarillo Texan. thing to do. But. Oh, Lord. Go have a big steak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite season in Amarillo? Definitely this time of year. Okay, the fall. Right after the fair usually leaves, you know, the weather kind of breaks, and we get these beautiful days like today. I just love this time of year. It's, it always seems so calm outside, and in the mornings it's perfect for a walk. I, I just love this time of year. The air smells different. It just seems like, you know, the leaves start falling off the trees, and they kind of teach us to let dead stuff go the way yeah. they are. You know, it's just it's a beautiful time of year. Okay. Well, that concludes my eight straight questions. Jazz, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want local people to know about or to experience? To my suggestion to you is to support a black owned business. I sat and thought on this question and that's the one thing I want you to do is to go on Facebook tonight and make a post and tell your friends to tag their favorite black owned business and go and buy just one item or like a post on that page or share a post and just encourage that person to keep going and to keep moving forward. Send them a little love message, give them some Amarillo loving and just let them know that it's going to be okay. And this business will thrive. If you can do that today, I would love it. It would make my heart so full. Yeah. And you mentioned Kara and Solidarity Isn't Silent. I believe they've put together a pretty good list list of Mm -hmm. black owned businesses. Yep, she does. So go check it out and go on some websites. And if you need a little push to one co I'm on down to oh my fro lash co and buy something from me and I'll send you some kisses in the mail but just support a black owned business encourage someone today um reach out to people that you know that aren't typically like you um that you haven't seen if you don't have any black friends go make one we're we're pretty awesome all right Jasmine Taylor thank you so much for being on the podcast I appreciate it 
And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jazz for the interview. To learn more about her business, visit ohmyfrolashco.com. I also want to say thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week, to Bivens Point for sponsoring this week's show, and to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring 8 Straight every week. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Barbara and Jim Witten, Chris Zelda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Joshua Ray. This has been episode 165. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.